what we're doing is we're walk, working our way through the New Testament, obviously starting in Matthew. Um, and today we find ourselves in the middle of chapter, in the beginning of chapter 6. We're going to be covering verses 1 through 18 today. Um, and just, uh, we're in the, in the process of the Sermon on the Mount. And just like last week, the Sermon on the Mount covers multiple, multiple topics. It's like shotgun theology. It's like one paragraph is one topic. It just, it just jumps from, from item to item. And it's tempting to want to do each individual one as a, as a sermon by itself. And you could. But the cool thing is, there are four Gospels, and most of these things are hit through all of those Gospels, so I have the option to do it in different ways. And last week and this week, what I'm doing is looking at larger concepts and how these smaller topics fit into that larger concept. Because I actually think that's the way Jesus is using these topics as he's walking through. I don't think the Sermon on the Mount is, I'm going to teach you about prayer. I'm going to teach, I'm going to bludgeon you about fasting. I'm going to hit you over the head about adultery. and I don't think that's what he's doing. I think he's trying to get a point across to the people of Israel, and he's using these smaller instances to drive that point home. Because Israel was very, very behaviorally focused. If I can get this, this, this process down, if I can do this one thing, if I can make sure my behavior is good, then I'm good. And Jesus is trying to help them understand it is not about the behavior. The behavior is a secondary issue. It's the heart that matters. Because if the heart's right, the behavior's going to follow. But if the heart's wrong, you can make yourself get the behavior right and still be wrong. Most of us understand this because we go to work. Your heart might not be in it, but you know what's expected when you're there. Right? There's this trend right now, it's called acting your wage, (laughs) not age, your wage. And that's when people decide to do the absolute minimum required to keep their job. My job description says I need to do this, so I'm only doing this. And people think, how advanced of your thinking The problem is, if you translate that over to the nation of Israel and the way it worked in their relationship with God, what you find out is it is intensely inadequate. Because they got to the point where they were only doing the very minimum required by the letter of the law. And Jesus is trying to help them understand that's not good enough. The law was not the end. The law was the starting point. I used to love it when I was uh, still working in the restaurants. I'd, I've had hundreds of employees over the years, and I'd get someone at the end of the year that inevitably be like, how come I didn't get a bigger raise this year? I'm like, well, do you think you deserved a bigger raise? Well, of course I do. Well, explain to me why. I showed up on time in uniform, and I did what I was supposed to do. Thank you. You did the least amount possible to keep your job. So that's why you got the least raise that I was able to give you. The people who did more got more. And today in our our country, we think that's unfair. (laughs) I heard an argument on uh, online the other day. Someone was trying to, they were complaining that a person in an entry-level job did not have the ability as a single parent to live the same kind of life as a two-parent household and a prof- in a professional career. 
They were arguing how this was inequitable. No, (laughs) that's called the benefits of your own actions. (laughs) You see, when we only do the least amount possible, then we should only expect the least amount from it. Whether it's your marriage, your parenting, your career, and especially your faith. If you're more concerned with doing the least, and by the least, what I mean is looking like a Christian on Sunday. I know that when Abel or Ashley start building up those that drum part of that song, I know that's when the hands are supposed to go up. And the hallelujahs are supposed to come out. And if the music goes down and you start hearing that little angel thing in the background that's kind of like, oh, that's when your hands are not only up, but the swaying starts. And of course, you got to have your mouth open to catch the water of the Holy Spirit. None of that was in my notes. That was all free. I'm just, I'm just saying, it's a bonus for today. <laughs> in this first part of uh, 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 Matthew chapter 6, Jesus covers um, doing good works, how we should pray, and how we should fast. And he's talking about motive, making sure we're doing it for the right reasons. All other faiths in the world focus on doing things right, or more precisely, behavioral modification to the point where you have earned a place in heaven, or whatever it is they call it. Some just call it the afterlife, some call it in heaven. But you have to earn your way to it by becoming the type of person that deserves that reward. Christianity, I love it when people say, oh, what makes Christianity so special? It's not like you're totally different from all other religions. You want to bet? Christianity begins on the premise that you're a horrible person that can never do anything ever. There's nothing you will ever achieve that will ever allow you to earn heaven. So just stop. You can't do it. Heaven is a reality you are not capable of achieving uh, achieving no matter what you do on this earth. That is the foundational premise of Christianity, you will never get there on your own. In comes Jesus. He says, but I can get you there. Just trust me. It's completely the opposite of every other faith in existence. Our actions are not what make us right with God. It's faith in Christ that makes us right with God. And the central point of that truth is our motives. When our motives are wrong, there's a lot else that goes wrong. So when we do whatever we do, is it to be, is it to be seen and praised by others? Or is it because it's simply the right thing to do, seen or unseen? And this goes to every action of our faith. Every action of our faith comes down to that point. Are you doing it so others see you do it? Or are you doing it because it's the right thing to do, seen or unseen? We tend to be drawn to people who look like what we think we should look like. 
we nat- no matter where we are, what we're doing, we naturally look for role models. When I was, when I was still a chef, I looked for chefs who were role models. And of course, everyone loved Gordon Ramsay. Because he was a jerk. And everyone, and that gave us the re- the right to be a jerk in the kitchen. Of course, very few people have his skill level, so you're just a jerk for no reason. <coughs> But no matter what career you're in, whether it's nursing, teaching, hospitality, tourism, truck driving, you always find someone who you think has a skill level or a skill set or have reached a level that you think you should reach on your own. That's what I want to become. It's a natural human tendency. But now the question is, what are we looking at? And what are we imitating? Because the people in the church that you typically want to try to, to imitate are the ones whose names you probably don't know. They're always there, but they're never in front. They're always doing something. They're the ones that hold the rest of the building up. I'd, I, I ran into someone a little... Oh, well, actually... I. I've, I've talked to quite a few people um, who, have, who have moved away, and one of the things that, that one of the, the, the messages we got a little while ago was, you know, it's, it's so amazing how friendly the church is, and how easy it is to talk to people. You come in, and there's people that are going to talk to you. Oh, the fellowship time in the back. Oh, this, this coffee, this atmosphere is correct, it's, it's created. They said, you've done such a good job, and my normal answer is this, I don't think you understand. I didn't do anything. I don't vacuum the floors. I don't keep the building clean. I'm not the one that does this. I don't make the coffee. I don't bring the snacks. The people who do that, I would be willing to bet 75% of you don't even know who they are. And the cool thing is, they're perfectly fine that way. Perfectly fine that way. There's only a few people that I tend to name a lot, and it's usually just to guilt them to keep doing it. Like, I'll give you an example. Fudge. Do I even need to say a name? No, I don't. His name is Bert. He's wearing a green sweater. He's right there. And every time I do, he does this thing, he buries his head. Oh, no. And then he laughs. No one was like, Bert, will you please learn to make fudge? Terry, sorry. I was looking at Bert. I was seeing Terry. It's Barry. Just because Turt sounded weird. (laughs) Yes, I get paid to do this. Um, It's just funny. No one pulled him aside and was like, Terry, you, you please learn to make amazing fudge, and will you please make it fresh every morning so that it's kind of still warm when it shows up? Now, just to be clear, I don't know if there's fudge here today. I don't really care. I'm still making I'm still guilting him because next week, next time he shows up, he's going to have fudge. <laughs> I'm just saying. But as a pastor, half of my job is guilt trips. <laughs> so he just started doing it. That's it. Never asked for anything. You see, this is the stuff that sets people apart. Because the reality is, when you find the person you want to emulate, it's probably not the person you're looking at. 
It's just the reality. Here's an interesting thing about our faith. <clears throat> our true faith is only revealed when no one is looking. Or let me say it another way. The reality and depth of your faith is revealed when you know you won't get caught. That's where your faith really is. No one's looking, I won't get caught. So it doesn't damage the reputation that I've created for myself. See, that's the true level of our faith. It's because our motives are wrong. And I got news for you. Every single one of us, including myself, at some point in time, our motives are wrong. It's, it's just a natural human reaction. But Jesus helps us to understand some things that we can do, some things that we can look at that will set us in the right direction. So check this out. <clears throat> Starting in verse, verse, uh, chapter 6, verse 1. It says, take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Ooh, no reward. Nope, none. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But when you do a charitable, de- charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. And your charitable de- deed may be in secret, and your father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. Do not announce your good deeds with a trumpet. <clears throat> in my head, you know, if you've ever been to a Krispy Kreme, um, there's a light out front that lets you know fresh donuts are being made. And they're going down that little, that little conveyor belt underneath the warm, sugary glaze, you know, like they've announced it with a trumpet. Could you imagine if we had one on the side of the, uh, side of the building and just said, fudge? <laughs> and that every time Terry walked into that, he was like, click! <laughs> I turn this light on in all humility. <laughs> no, you don't. I didn't ask him if I could do this, by the way. It's just, it's just, it's just, sorry, you're, you're, you're literally right in front of me. So it's just, it's just, yeah, really, turn, sorry. No, it's, it's, <laughs> we don't do that. But at the very beginning, it says, take heed. In short, it means be intentional about this. Don't do this by accident. Do this on purpose. Make this an intentional piece of your life. Do not do your charitable deeds before men. And he's not just talking about giving. This isn't a tithing message. He's not just talking about, the, about giving to the poor or helping things out. When we, our charitable deeds incorporate ourselves, our time, our talents, and our resources. That's a charitable deed. When you show up, excuse me, to dig a ditch, that is a charitable deed. When you bring a meal to someone's house, that is a charitable deed. When you pray for someone up here in front of the altar, that is a charitable deed. Everything you do is a charitable deed. Do not do these things to be seen by the people around you. Otherwise, you have your reward. But here's the other side of that. Affirmation is a natural human need. You can't go your life without some degree of affirmation. Whenever I find marriages that are in trouble, almost all the time, affirmation, recognition, letting someone know I'm here 
is almost always the root of the issue. Everything else is a behavior that can be corrected, but there's an emotional damage. I just feel like we're roommates. So did you guys talk today? Yeah, he asked me what was for dinner. When's the last time you had a long conversation? When I cut my hair. That's not a conversation. If you're a husband and you walk in the house, the first thing you say is, what did you do to your head? Then she has the right to say, what did you do to your stomach? Where did you find the other one? (laughs) I see you've been working on your ab. A friend of mine told me once, said, our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Right now, I'm increasing my seating capacity. (laughs) And I said, I like that. (sighs) At some point, we all need to know that our efforts are valued, that we are appreciated, but that's not what we're talking about here. Letting people that you work with, people that you lead, Know that they're appreciated and valued is just simply the mark of a good friend, the good leader. It's just something we should do. Let people around you know that you see what is going on. The problem is when we do these things and we not only desire that affirmation, we expect and demand to be recognized for our efforts. We demand it. Let me give you an example of something that I have never heard come out of anybody's mouth in relationship to the church. This has never come out of anyone's mouth. If you knew how much money I gave to this church, you would put a higher value on my opinion. Not anymore. (laughs) Now, I got news for you. If I pay a dollar for something stupid or $10,000 for the same stupid thing, it's still stupid. You see, the dollar value attached to it doesn't suddenly make it smart. Just to give you an idea, a lot of politicians who win their election paid more money to get votes. Did it make them a better politician? Nope. This happens when we think what we bring to the table makes us more valuable than other people. Regardless of the call on their life, regardless of the provision in your life, regardless of the situation you find yourself, because I bring X to the table, I am more valuable than everybody else. You think God looks at it that way? You think if you came to God and you said, God, if these people would just understand the financial value that I bring to this table, they would understand how much they should listen to me. And and God's going to look at you and go, I'm sorry, who gave you that income? Who has been working behind the scenes because of your faithfulness in your giving to give you the platform and the career that gives you this provision? Because if you want it to just be you, God is more than happy 
to get out of the way. There's an extremely rich man who is complaining to his pastor one day that I just don't understand this is driving me insane. I'm the same person I was when I started my career, but today I tithe 10 times more than I used to make when it started. I don't see, and, but I haven't increased my, I haven't increased my position in the church at all. I don't know what to do. And the pastor said, I have an idea. Quit tithing. And the guy said, are you insane? Do you know what that would, I would, I would be stepping outside of the blessings of God. This would be ridiculous. Why would I do that? He said, well, then shut up and stop complaining that God has blessed your life over and over and over again so that you can bless the kingdom work that you're involved with. You want to step out of the career that you find yourself in, but that career has enabled you to be in a position to be able to let other people who are not in that position do what they need to do. But you see, when you have the finish line in your mind, you lose sight of the joy in the journey. And sometimes God blesses you where you are so that you can be a blessing to others. Faith is not a ladder to climb. It's a journey to walk. But we naturally think that if we believe our effort outweighs the effort of another, then our input should be more valuable than others. That is not the way that works. It's not the way it works. Over the years, I've had multiple people ask me if they can join worship teams at the various churches where I've, been, I've, I've uh, had the privilege of serving as a worship leader. And um, when they ask me if they'd like to serve and what they'd like to do, if I hear, I'd like to be a worship leader. They've never been on the team. I'd like to be a worship leader. Okay. Now, inevitably, this is what I'm going to do. Well, actually, more than likely, Abel would be doing this now. Come on the team. Sit with us, get to know people, learn the soundboard, the projection computer, and the streaming platform, and practice with, with us for a while, and then help out the team for a little bit, and we'll try to get you on a rotation five or six months down the road. Here's what I've learned. They never come back. Most of the time, they never come back. Here's why. They're not interested in serving the team. They're interested and being in front of everybody with a microphone and being heard. Their motives are wrong. Their charitable deeds are being done before men. And they're trumpeting themselves in a very arrogant way. They don't want to earn their way onto the team. They just think, especially if they're talented, that they're just capable. I heard a story of a church in our own area where there was a girl on the team, good singer, there were some issues. She was taken off the team for a little while. You need to sit down and work out these issues. Her parents took her to another church where she was immediately put on the worship team because she's talented. See the problem? It's got nothing to do with character. It's got nothing to do with motive. It's got nothing to do with a heart that serves the Lord. It has everything to do with, I have a talent and I want everyone to see it. It is not only not honoring to God, it is disgraceful to the service of Christ. That's not who Jesus is looking for. And that's it's a bad way to do it. 
And I do this for two reasons. There are always a lot of reasons, a lot of opportunities to serve on a team. There's always a lot of opportunities. But there's only so many opportunities to lead. You know, we only have service four times a month, right? <laughs> Sometimes five. That means there's either one or two people singing. Not a lot of opportunities. Well, I'm a drummer. Well, there's four or five chances a month to, to do that. So if you want to be part of the team, be part of the team. You see, if I'm not testing the character of people, then I'm not serving them well, I'm not serving the congregation well, and I'm not serving the team well. Because I'm letting someone with the wrong motive take a place of prominence that's not theirs. Comes back to the motive. Are you trumpeting yourself before men? Or are you walking in the humility that a Christian should be walking in? Just thankful to be there. All right, let's keep going. In verse 5, it says, And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have, they have their reward. <clears throat> but when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. You notice it twice, Jesus is talking about doing something in secret so God can reward you openly, and the dangers of wanting it the other way around. Just something to note there. And when you pray, do not use vain repetition as the heathen do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things that you have, have need before you even ask. He already knows. In this manner, therefore, pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And there's a bonus on the, on the end of this. For if you, give men, if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive yours. That deserves a big ouch. Back to that whole reap what you sow. You want God to forgive you? Fine, be forgiving Pretty much that simple. Now, I'm not going to go, we're not, we're not going to spend the rest of our time talking, talking about a detailed, um, uh, uh, sermon about, about the Lord's Prayer. We'll, we'll do that another time. I want to talk, I want to stay on this concept of check your motives. Remember, Jesus is talking about not trumpeting yourself before others, not praying like hypocrites. He's do, he's talking about the Lord's Prayer in the context of having the right heart and the right motives. So let's look at the Lord's Prayer in that way. Not as a series of words that we're supposed to burp back out every time we want to pray because Jesus never had it in his mind that this is what you're supposed to repeat verbatim. And we can tell because throughout the rest of the New Testament and the Gospels, he doesn't pray this way. So if he's not praying that way, why? So there's something else going on here. So he says, in this manner, therefore, pray. The focus is on the motives Hypocrites want to be seen praying lofty prayers, using big words, and, and sounding very King James. As many of these, thous, those, and thus as they can possibly manifesteth. Right? 
I'm sure none of us have ever come across anyone who, who does this. They want to, they, they pray larger than life. They pray larger than they are. Be, and it is not anything even remotely close to who they are on a regular basis. You talk to them when things are when it, just in normal conversation. And they don't sound anything like it, but you turn the prayer on. Will you pray for thanks? So Thanksgiving is the, is like the prayer. Like if you're going to pray for a, for a meal, that's the one you want every year because everyone's there and you get to do it big. You get to decree and declare over that turkey and that stuffing. You get to declare that the butter in those potatoes is no longer fattening in the name of the Lord. Glow Ray. And if you don't know how to spell that, it's G-L-O-W dash A-R-Y. Glow Ray. Glory to God. This is like the bread of manna rained down from heaven to feed the Israelites. That German chocolate cake is no different than the provision of the Holy Spirit. Twinkies are golden because they contain the sweet cream presence of God. I have decreed it. I have declared it. Lord, hallelujah. Now, you laugh for two reasons. One, it's kind of funny. Two, you know someone who does this. And when they do, you're not, listen to this, you're not praying anymore. And the truth is, they're not praying anymore. You have got your eyes rolled so far into the back of your head, you can see your thoughts. What should be thankfulness before God for the provisions that you are receiving is now, will they ever shut up? Here they go again. Am I right? Yeah. Do you see what happens when pretense takes center stage? When pretense takes center stage, even our prayers are wrong because they're not God-honoring. They're man-honoring. And if we're going to honor ourselves with our prayers, God's not listening He's not interested in that. Prayer is supposed to be a conversation between you and the Lord, and your prayers should never sound anything like anything other than you. Well, Pastor, I just I don't I don't I don't, I don't pray because I you know I don't I don't I don't talk good. Okay, then don't talk good to God. I stumble over my words. Stumble over your words to God. He's okay with it. He just wants to hear you. He doesn't need to hear your imitation of Rod Parsley or any of the over-the-top over Pentecostal. Ugh, I don't even want to go there because I'm a Pentecostal. I got news for you. We're weird. And we love to do things over the top. We love to do things big. But you know what God's looking for? The little things. I can prove it. I'm the pastor. Had someone asked me, where'd you get that pulpit? That's really great. It kind of fits you. Yeah, it doesn't fit anybody else. <laughs> yep. I made it specifically for little people. <laughs> Every time I tried to buy one, it was like this tall. Whenever I preached down in Oswego to Dick Beaumont's church, I never used the pulpit. Because seriously, it's like this tall. 
I stand behind it and you look on the camera, it's just a disconnected head on top. It looks like someone has decapitated me and put me on a counter. Anyway, moving right along. In this manner, therefore, pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now listen to this. Father, meaning the one to whom you answer. Our Father. Begin your prayers by declaring the authority of God. Do you see how that puts things in order? The humility associated with that? My Father, who art in heaven, holy is your name. So you're putting things in order right off in the beginning. He is the Lord. I am not. First thought, approach God in the manner appropriate to his name. Verse 10, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Whose will are we seeking? Right right off the bat, God is the one in control and we're coming before him. Why? To find his will. Not our list of demands. His will. We may ask God to provide for our needs, but our list of needs has to give way to the will of God because your need may be outside of the will of God. If God always gave you what you asked for, he would have to put his will aside and yield to your will. But if we approach God, Lord, this is where I am. This is the need I find myself in. But nonetheless, show me your will in this situation and I will follow it. So you make your need known, but what you're seeking is his will to be done on earth in the same way that is done in heaven without question. So the second thought, seek God in a manner where your needs are secondary to his. Now, some people think well, that, that that can't be the way God wants to do it. Well, let me let me read you something, see if this sounds familiar. Father, if there is any other way, then remove this cup from me. But either way, your will be done. That sound familiar? That was Jesus's prayer in the garden. Father, if, if there is any other way, take this cup from me. Lord, I am in need in this situation. But regardless... Your will be done. Father, I'm sick in the body. I have a disease in me. I know you can heal me. But either way, let me live my days walking your path. Doing your will, whether I'm sick or not. Whether I'm rich or poor. Whether I'm liked or disliked. Whether I'm tall or short. We come to God to find his will, not ask for favors. Verse 11, give us this day our daily bread. Now listen, our daily bread. This is a clear reference to the provision of the Israelites in the desert with manna. If you're not familiar with the story, every morning manna would rain down from heaven while the Israelites were journeying. And what would happen is they would be, they were required to collect enough for that day. Except on Friday, because they had to have enough for the Sabbath. Nothing, nothing came on the Sabbath because you're not allowed to work on the Sabbath. 
Now, if they collected more than what they needed for that day, they thought, I'm going to have extra for tomorrow. When they got up tomorrow, it would be rotten. It was their daily bread. And it kind of comes down to this. Lord, provide for my needs. Make sure that I have what is what I need, but I don't require you to give me excess. Now, as Americans, we don't get this. God is the God of excess, and America is the land of excess. Do you want that supersized? Yes. How many times you see people walking out of a gas station with, you remember the big gulps? It's like a gallon of soda. See, <laughs> this, this, this is actually kind of funny. Half of you just smiled like, yeah, it is. <laughs> that straw is the same size as my mouth. I love when I go to the movies and I see single people, and it's always a single man and usually someone in the military, that gets a large popcorn and the extra large soda. And as they're walking to the ticket counter, they don't know what to do because you can't hold all that in one hand. You need a wheelbarrow. And here's the thing. You ask a single guy, why do you need two gallons of popcorn and 72 ounces of soda? And this is what they say. You can get refills. (laughs) A refill? If you eat that popcorn and then refill it, I'll pay for it. And then I will take you to the hospital for whatever issue you're about to have. It's insane. We love excess. The problem is we translate that over into our faith, and we think that if we're faithful, if we're good, if we're loyal, if we if we do what God is asking us to do, God will allow us to live in excess because we've translated in our own mind that we not only have faith, we have it abundantly. God wants you to be happy in his service, not necessarily fat and happy. Although fat and happy is a goal of mine. We want an abundant life, but abundant, an abundant life is, an, is a life that serves God, is a life that has sought his will and is living out his will. That is an abundant life. Not a big house, big car, plenty of vacations, lots of money in the bank. That is not an abundant life. You want to know one of the highest, one of the percentages of people as far as income goes, the people with the highest level of suicidality are the wealthy because they've gone after that life and what they found out is that it's empty. There's nothing there of value. Your bank account can't love you. There is an epidemic in our culture right now of 35 and 40 year old women who sacrifice life for career who are miserable because now they have everything they thought they want, but they don't have a family. They don't have a husband. They don't have kids. They got nothing that will love them back. They have a cold house and a bank account and they're miserable. Why? Because they thought they had abundance, but what they have is nothing. We want an abundant life. That means it's got to be life. Your career is not your life. 
Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. The key here is as we forgive. Forgive me as I forgive. Do you see how that puts us in the right perspective? Help me be forgiving so that I may receive your forgiveness. That's what that is saying. Verse 14 and 15 are a wonderful bonus to this, even though they're a couple of verses later. They remind us that we do this because it has already been done for us. And we know that we will not receive the promise unless we give that same promise to others. Last part, do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. This implies that we will follow the path laid out before us without question. The implication here is, Lord, don't lead me into temptation. No, God is not leading you into temptation. The point here, what is being said is, Lord, I am going to follow you blindly and I'm going to trust you blindly. So I am trusting that you're going to lead me to the right place. That's what this is implying. Lord, I'm going to, I'm going to follow you without question. And I'm trusting that you're going to take me exactly where I need to be, whether I like it there or not. Sometimes we end up in places we got, we're supposed to be, not places we want to be. It's just the reality. Ask any missionary around the world. They may not want to be in the deepest, darkest jungles of Africa, but it's where they need to be. When the first time I went to Africa, I was in Ghana. This is hot. The guy I went with, I said, hey, can we come during your summer? He goes, no. It will melt your brain. And I thought, that's, a, that's comforting. And I walked into the bedroom where I was staying. This was, a, this was a, a missionary house. It was really nice. It was done up, had these little marble floors. The floors were really glossy. And what, what, the only reason why I mentioned that is because out of the corner of my eye, I saw a dinner plate with legs moving across the floor, coming at me. It was a spider. I didn't know spiders could move that fast. I didn't know anything could move that fast. Suddenly... I was a girl, <laughs> at least vocally. And then just as suddenly, the spider was dead. And then I saw another one. I couldn't catch it. It ran behind something. I had to sleep there that night. I didn't want to be there, <laughs> but I needed to be there for both the people I was serving and for me. I needed to be there. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Because I'm going to follow you regardless of where you take me. Let's, let's move on real quick to the last part. I'm going to finish this really quick. Um, 16 through 18 says, Moreover, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites uh, with... Oops. Uh, yeah, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces uh, uh, that they may appear uh, to men to be fasting. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, so that you do not appear to men to be fasting, but to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Fasting is more than just seeking God. Fasting is removing obstacles in your life and going without to make room for your seeking. You want to do it with the wrong motives? The only thing you're going to get is hungry. 
Me and Samantha were at a restaurant once, and with the, our server came to the table, and we like to, you know, we worked in the hospitality industry for a long time, so we have small talk with our servers, and we were like, so how you doing? She goes, ah, horrible. We're like, what is going on? She's it's Lent. Oh, oh, my gosh. I get my Mountain Dew for Lent, and like, oh, my gosh. Now, there's some people who may have a hard time with that. I mean, I, mean, I don't know anyone, Andrew. But the fact that she was suffering because she couldn't have a Mountain Dew was laughable. Because I'm thinking, you just negated everything you're looking for by announcing your suffering. I get asked almost every year, why is it that I don't talk about our corporate fast? We have a corporate fast from the 1st of January to the 21st of January. We do it at the beginning of every year. Why I don't talk more about it, especially during those three weeks. The reason I don't talk about it is because I don't care what you're doing. And you shouldn't care what I'm doing. I don't need to know how hungry you are. I can hear it. Some of your stomachs growl. The other ones are like, <laughs> we don't, I'm not, I'm, you're never going to see me come up on stage on a Sunday morning in January and be like, I'm glad you're still alive. I know we're all wasting away and most of us will die before this is over. But praise God, glow ray. I have decreed and declared my hunger gone. I don't need to know what you're going through. You don't need to know what I'm going through. The purpose is for us to go through it together, to pray for one another together in silence. And then when it's over, you might share what you learned on your journey. But if you really want to experience something during that time, stop talking about it. Love it when I meet people and they're like, so how's it going? Oh, pretty good. We're going to be starting a really deep seeking time of the Lord uh, uh, coming up. Coming up. So it hasn't happened yet. No, but we are going to dig deep. We're going to be praying and fasting. I don't need to know. He needs to know. Don't be like the hypocrites. Don't walk around like your face is sunken in. I don't put a black marker under your eyes. I'm just, I'm just glad to be alive, Pastor. What does Jesus say? Anoint your head, wash your face, so that you don't even look like someone that's fasting. Take all doubt out of everyone's mind and do everything you can to just look like a normal person and then seek God. It's about your motives. One of the things I hear an awful lot sounds like this. I do my best to serve God, but I just expect a different result, so I'm fed up. I do my best to serve God, but I expect a different result. Here's the problem. This is what I'm going to close with. This is what we've done. We get into the service of God, and in our mind, we take a picture of what the end result looks like. I'm going to get into church and I'm going to start serving God. And this is what's going to happen. 
And the problem is God does not live up to your desire. He doesn't live up to your vision. He has not followed your plan. And therefore, we discount God because he didn't do what we wanted him to do. Our eyes were constantly on a destination that God never set for us. And we have lost the joy in the journey. 